This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is brought to you by Art Forecaster. Our Grand Slam forecasting competition is now live for the May New York auctions. It's not too late to sign up, though. You can visit artforecaster.com to enter the competition and start leaving predictions as to what you think certain artworks up for auction at Christie's, Phillips, and Sotheby's will sell for on the auction block. Compete against other players, and the top performers will win prizes, including a subscription to Art Tactic and Mutual Art. So visit artforecaster.com before it's too late. Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm Adam Green. In this week's episode, we're joined by Nate Freeman, senior reporter for Artsy, to recap this week's freeze and TAFAF art fairs in New York City. Nate, thanks for chatting with us. How was your fair week? It was busy, but it was very enjoyable. I thought it was a beautiful week in New York City. Maybe a little hot, but we'll touch upon that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely will. We're going to dive into both Freeze and TAFAF and where the market stands after these fairs, but we should start at the top with the latest on the air conditioning issue that impacted the beginning of Freeze. For our listeners who didn't attend the fair, tell us what exactly happened, how it may have negatively impacted the fair experience and even possibly sales numbers, and what's your latest reporting on how Freeze is trying to rectify this issue with galleries? Well, it gone to a point on the first VIP preview day where the heat was such and the air conditioning wasn't working that it got over 100 degrees inside Freeze New York's tent. And I don't think anyone has ever experienced fair at that temperature. Um, and it was just sort of distracting for people who were there trying to sell art to all the collectors who live in New York and come into town for this fair every year. Um, so that, you know, was, was understandably frustrating for uh, some of the uh, galleries who came to freeze. Uh, that, that was sort of, it sort of dominated the conversation on the first day, and it was just as hot the, the second day. Um, well, of course, like many fairs, a lot of dealers pre-sold a lot of work, so it wasn't like people weren't selling anything. But after a certain hour, when it was that hot, it was really difficult for dealers to sell. Um, and so what happened, as I uh, revealed um, two days ago, on Artsy, um, I obtained, printed out copies of an email that was sent out by Victoria Sidall, uh, who's the director of Freeze Fairs, uh, saying that they are going to offer compensation to all galleries because of, uh, you know, any sort of lack of business that might have happened uh, due to the insane heat. Um, and, you know, I think that that is a very, uh, you know, generous, uh, offering. It's not clear in, in, in exactly how much compensation they'll be getting, but that's a pretty unprecedented thing for an artist to do, to acknowledge that, you know, not for their fault necessarily, but for, you know, weather reasons, the conditions were, you know, pretty uh, bad, and, and they had to sort of give something back because of it. Um, so I don't think it was a disaster by any means. You know, people did sell a, a lot of art, you know, David Zwerner sold out its booth on the first day. Uh, there were some good sales at, you know, a variety of booths. Hauser & Wirth had some good sales, um, and I reported on many others. But it was just a distraction, how hot it was. Yeah, I can only imagine. And so moving from Freeze to Tayfaf, it's really interesting to see Tayfaf make their mark in New York City. It feels like a lot of people I spoke with preferred Tayfaf over Freeze this year. 
What's your sense of collectors and dealers' impressions of the two fairs? Is TAFAF becoming maybe the more relevant fair of the weekend? You have to understand, TAFAF is a much smaller uh, fair than Freeze is. Freeze has 190 exhibitors. I think uh, TAFAF has 80, if I'm not mistaken. 90, sorry, 90. So they are two different, you know, uh, totally different operations. Um, to compare one to the other is slightly misleading um, because... You know, one is sort of the this grander, you know, fully like you know, globally sized art fair, and the other is a smaller, uh, more luxury fair uh, for a certain gallery and a certain collector. Uh, that being said, the vibe at Tafoff was was incredibly positive, and it's clear that that fair, you know, having operated for so many years in Maastricht, has really uh, mastered the New York landscape, and they really know how to throw, uh, you know, a good opening party there. You know, they have the oyster shuckers and, um, and the champagne. That really does, uh, you know, make a difference. People were in very good spirits. And, you know, I, you didn't see a work selling for over, you know, the mid-six figures at Freeze, but there were John Curran works at the Gagosian booth selling for $3.5 million at Tafoff. You know, there were uh, a lot of really big works being sold. Um, and so... Like, to that end, was it a, more of a success? Yeah, more expensive work sold, you know. Um, there was a $5 million Tommy sold Basquiat that Levy Govery sold. Like, these are major works. And that wasn't happening at Paris, New York. But that's kind of just the nature of the two fairs. Tafoff is a very high-end fair for, you know, the Upper East Side uh, demi-monde. Uh, you know, all the collectors who live up there can just walk a block away, and they're at Park Avenue Armory. Um, and it attracts, you know, some of the most high-profile, powerful uh, galleries in, in certainly New York and, and the world. Um, so, you know, Freeze has always had this identity of being a sort of hipper fair where you bring, you know, galleries that you work closely with at, so you bring artists that, that work closely with the galleries and maybe not as much, you know, secondary market work. Um, but you can really find some true treasures at Tafoff because that's the identity of the, of the fair. So, uh, you know, if you had to choose between the two, perhaps it's accurate to say more expensive work sold at Tafoff and maybe you had a better time at Tafoff because it wasn't 102 degrees. <laughs> but um, uh, they are two very different fairs. Um, that being said, I, I think that, you know, there might be some galleries who choose not to do both fairs next year because it's just too much. That is something that I heard from a number of galleries that did overlap with both fairs. And during the big fair weekends, everyone's smoozing and it feels like there's always a few things frequently being discussed in conversation. What were some of the major things being talked about by collectors and those in the trade this week beyond the heat at freeze uh, pertaining to the art market or the art on display or anything else that's relevant? Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of people were looking forward to auctions um, because there's no Venice Biennale that uh, people were going to in between um, freeze and New York Auction Week and because there was the, this Rockefeller sale on uh, Tuesday night and another one last night. Uh, a lot of people are staying in town um, through next week, whereas last year you had people jetting back across the ocean to Venice. So people were talking about the auctions that are, are going to happen um, next week. I, you know, I think people are really 
expecting this to be, and it already has, as evidenced by um, Tuesday night, one of the bigger uh, sprees for the art market in history. I think we're going to see an incredible amount of uh, record-breaking prices next week. Um, and so, yeah, people were talking about, you know, this uh, Modigliani that's going to sell at, at Sotheby's. People were talking about this Picasso self-portrait at Christie's. And they were talking about, you know, just the sort of really solid uh, contemporary sales that have been assembled by both houses. Um, and, you know, apart from that, I think there were a number of notable uh, gallery shows that people, were, you know, were excited to see. People were really excited about the uh, Charles Ray show and Matthew Marks, uh, for instance. Um, that's something that, that uh, I heard brought up quite a bunch. Um, and, yeah, it was, you know, it's always an exciting time to be here in May. There's just, you know... A million things going on. Yeah, and outside of the art market, if we're talking about just the broader circles and economy, there's a lot of discussion going on right now and a lot of attention focused on the economy and what will happen with inflation and interest rates and the stock market and how the political climate could impact all these things. Are any of these kinds of discussions permeating into the art world in terms of just being a part of the conversation or maybe even influencing collector behavior? Or is the art world really just in its own little bubble outside of all these concerns? And if a collector sees something that they like, they're just going to go ahead and buy it. Well, there is a bubble, clearly. When you're talking about sort of the, um, the most expensive lots at you know an auction, the people who buy that aren't necessarily going to be affected by fluctuations in the market. Um, I think, you know, the way in which uh, the market fluctuations do affect something like a fair week is, you know, smaller galleries that are already having trouble, you know, with overdue simply can't do as many fairs if um, their bread and butter, which are collectors who might be hit by any sort of market fluctuations, collectors who buy at sub $10,000, you know, ranges, like, they can get hit if they lose that collector base. Um, and once they lose, you know, certain collectors, um, they can't, you know, do as many fairs as they once were able to. And without doing all these fairs, they don't meet new clients in different cities uh, and don't expand their collector base beyond the city that they're in. So it's just sort of a domino effect uh, for smaller galleries. Um, and that really is you know, a troubling thing that that they have to look out for. But at the same time, you know, on the very high end, these, you know, these collectors, whether they're from, from Asia or the Middle East or, or here in, in New York, you know, they're sort of, they sort of exist in this bubble that protects them from these kind of market fluctuations. So it's really, it's just on like a smaller gallery uh, level where we would see major uh, changes. And turning to Freeze, I'm always curious to hear about what galleries are bringing to the fair, as contemporary art and taste is always evolving. What were some of the noteworthy pieces on display at this year's Freeze? And did we see any common themes that were being explored by contemporary artists in their art that was on display? Going to a fair is not necessarily the, the, the best way to sort of take the temperature of, uh, you know, new strains of contemporary art. You know, I, I kind of prefer... 
something like, you know, the New Museum Triennial or the Berlin Biennial uh, to, to see that. But at the same time, you know, it's exciting to see, you know, what galleries decide to put on at Freeze. I, I really like uh, David Kordansky's presentation of the photographer Torben Rodland, who uh, is, you know, taking a very um, just intense approach to how photography can be framed. Um, and it was exciting to see him embraced uh, in such a, you know, full-on way. He has a solo booth at the, at, at the fair. Um, but it was also exciting for me to see someone like Almin Resch Gallery, you know, who represents some of the world's most celebrated artists, simply put one work by Joseph Kosuth, the neon work, at the top of the booth and left the rest of it empty. Um, so to see that kind of risk-taking, um, you know, at a fair is always exciting. Um, uh, sort of similar to that, uh, Pierre we staged this immaculate floating box thing at Marion Goodman that was fabulous. And, you know, she always really turns out uh, her booth at Freeze New York, so it's this real spectacle, and that was just something that you don't usually see at a fair. So while I'm not necessarily, you know, taking the temperature on, like, what's happening in terms of true the shifts in, you know, what's happening with contemporary art. There's no, you know, real video art, uh, so to speak, of freeze. Or, you know, there aren't enough examples of a lot of emerging artists, uh, but it's good to know how galleries are treating up-and-coming artists and how they're presenting them with fairs. And at TAFAF, as we've said, they have more established artists on view at higher price points. And when you're walking through that fair, it really feels like you're actually at an auction preview for an evening sale. Um, same artists, same price points. What's your sense of how sales were at TAFAF this year, which may actually be a good barometer for how the major auctions will go next week? Yeah, I think it's a very good sign for where the market is that uh, TAFOF has this New York uh, fair now, right before the auctions, because there is a lot of overlap between work at TAFOF and work in the evening sales. Um, you know, I think we're going to see a record-breaking Kusama work in the auctions next week. And Levy Gorby sold a Kusama watercolor and paper for almost a million dollars. Um, and so to see that kind of movement um, in the market, you know, that kind of sort of uh, coordination between what galleries are bringing to a major fair like TAFOP New York and what is, you know, on the docket for the sales next week, uh, it's really encouraging. Um, I, I think that we're going to see a lot of new artist records for, you know, people like George Kondo or Jonas Wood, uh, people, you know, artists who are still making really vibrant, incredible work mid-career artists uh, and are hitting their stride in terms of interest in uh, the secondary market at auctions. And you see that reflected at a fair like TAFOP, where artists like that are uh, just uh, at several booths. Um, it's, it's just, you know, there has to be this sort of coordination between what goes into an evening sale or even a day or afternoon sale and what dealers are choosing to bring to the fair, you know, everyone is sort of always in conversation with each other and buzzing about why a certain artist's market is how it is. And in order to prop up those markets, there has to be some sort of coordination either, you know, uh, casually or explicitly between 
what's going up in the evening sales and what's being put up at fairs. Nate, thanks again for coming on to the podcast and recapping both Freeze and TAFAF. It was a really interesting fair weekend in New York, and we always appreciate your insights. And we can now check out all of your writings on the art market and the art world on Artsy. And you're also tweeting often about the art market. If our listeners don't follow you already, they definitely should. What's your Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is nfreeman1234. And feel free to follow away. Thanks so much again, Nate. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Adam. Always a pleasure.